Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're with Bruce Torres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. World Stage indeed. Exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, a couple of things. The inaugural conference of Australians for Science and Freedom brings together thinkers and community leaders to share learnings, formulate plans, and help establish new and emerging networks and organizations to restore a thriving Australian society founded on science and freedom. Join the exciting lineup of health professionals, scientists, economists, lawyers, journalists, and community leaders to discuss a range of hot issues, including healthcare policy, democracy and human rights, education, the media, and the role of grassroots organizations. This conference, the Australians for Science and Freedom Conference, will be held. It's going on right now at the University of New South Wales, High Street, Kensington, New South Wales. Yesterday, Saturday, it was yesterday in Australia, and it's about to be Sunday morning um, in Australia, November 19th, and it happens Sunday in Australia from 8.30 to 4 p.m. TNT Radio will be broadcasting from the conference, and tickets are available at scienceandfreedom.org. Also, I posted a video called JFK, Love and Fun for the Mad and the Scared, and folks can find it at brucetotaurus.com. I'm going to read a few, the opening of it just a little bit here. JFK stood for us. What they did to him, they're doing to us. We must believe no authority but love. Government officials can't be trusted. Their crimes are too well documented. Their control by malignant powers is too obvious. Since Kennedy, the forces of oligarchy and empire have bombarded us with reasons to be like them, hating and fearing and using and abusing. We must conform not to them, but to love, which is reality. To serve reality, which is love, is to be sane. And it goes on for another glorious five or six minutes. Check it out at brewstatoris.com on the tab Appearances 2. With me this hour is Professor Paul Blow, a JFK assassination researcher with many articles at kennedysandking.com. He's a member of Citizens Against Political Assassinations and a contributor with James Eugenio, Matt Crumpton, Andrew Eiler, and Mark Adamchik to the new anthology, The JFK Assassination Chokeholds, that inescapably proved there was a conspiracy. Oliver Stone said this book proves beyond all reasonable doubt that, quote, Oswald, given a real trial, would have been acquitted, end quote. Paul is a regular guest on Black Op Radio and other podcasts, and he has appeared in the documentary, JFK Revisited, Through the Looking Glass by Oliver Stone. 
Thank you very much for joining me today, Paul. How are you? I'm great, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be on your program. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you for and to first of all, the three major things obviously are tell me about yourself. There's a lot more to your background. I'm gonna let you share that. And then also, how did you get into the assassination? What hooked you about Kennedy's assassination? And then of course, I wanna talk about the new book, the JFK assassination chokeholds, and also your assessment of the state of freedom in the West and around the world and uh, what more people need to know and to do. So let's start with you, Paul. Flesh out your biography for me, please. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you. Uh, I uh, was born in Quebec City and I lived in a bilingual uh, you know, uh, environment. So I, I was brought up in both French and English. Uh, I became you know, I began to get a, a exposure to American media at about the time JFK was assassinated. At the time, I was six years old. <laughs> I was frustrated. You know why? I couldn't see my cartoons because of the uh, funeral. That's what I remember from how I felt at such an early age. But it left images that were, I mean, unforgettable. I mean, I remember the the image of his son saluting. And, you know, the, the incredible uh, uh, pictures uh, of uh, Jackie. So probably when the book Crossfire by uh, Mars came out, it, it was my first serious read about the, uh, the case. I found it fascinating. And, of course, Crossfire refers to multiple shooters. Mm. Um, I read a few books, and, you know, after... Uh, uh, I started a career, you know, and I began a family and I, I owned an advertising agency for a while. Uh, we, I'll get back to that later because there's a marketing aspect, I think, to the solution to all this. Uh, I talked about it yesterday at Lancer. Uh, then anyway, I, I started teaching uh, for the last 20 years in a college. Uh, and uh, I, at, on the 50th, Bruce, I asked myself the 50th, 10 years ago, right? Because we're uh, on November 22nd, we're going to be, uh, I don't want to say celebrating, but we'll reach the 60th anniversary of the assassination. On mm -hmm. the 50th, I asked myself, what can I do? You know, I was listening to all sorts of programs, reading great books like The Unspeakable. I had seen the JFK movie. And that's where, you know, I... I I got to know about Jim DiEugenio because of seeing him online, and I had finally bought a book of his, and, and, and I really respected the work he did. I think Jim is one of the foremost researchers in the field. So lo and behold, I said, what do history books, how do they describe the assassination? We all heard how media was biased, uh, you know, about uh, presenting a lone nut and, and parroting the uh, Warren Commission results. But I wondered if history books were doing the same thing. And I did for, you know, from uh, as far as I know, the first study on how history books covered the assassination. And I, I got a hold of 20 history books, the most popular ones, and I questioned the authors. Now, it might not be any surprise to you that that study brought me, you know, revealed an awful lot. First of all, they were doing like the journalists. They were saying that there was a lone assassin and their main source 
because I got to question them through email, was the Warren Commission. Now, if you go to the American Historical Association, which, uh, you know, describes a code of conduct for historians, what did they tell you? You've got to evolve with new information. Not many of them or very few of them realized that there were subsequent government investigations that did not say the same thing that the Warren Commission said. Uh, So I even asked a few of them, well, how, how do you square what? your source, with a later uh, investigation, which was the House Select Committee on Assassinations, that came up with, you know, really different conclusions. And they hadn't heard of it. So what, 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 as a teacher, Jim as a teacher, Jim DiEugenio also taught, are saying, we're saying, you know, you have a captive audience of students and year after year after year, thousands of students are reading that. Now, uh, you, you can't get more in breach of a code of conduct than not following that that guideline that says, hey, new information comes in, adjust your teaching <laughs> okay, or adjust your, your writing. And anyway, last year I presented at Kappa and they asked me to go over that research. So I had to review did the books evolved since i did that you know in 10 years and they had or, or barely budged on the way they described they also described kennedy as a cold warrior and you know they blame him for vietnam so that that uh, to me was uh, a catalyst for writing chokeholds because uh, we started uh, you know I, I maybe i'm getting a little too far ahead of myself but if you in a nutshell that's how i got involved now through jim Jim was a, because of the articles he wrote, five years ago, I got an email saying, hey, would you like to be interviewed for a a documentary? Signed Oliver Stone. I said, oh, my God, how is someone from Quebec City even, I, I, you know, I had no contact with Mr. Stone. So I went down to Washington, got Mm -hmm. interviewed. And while I was there, I said, Mr. Stone, when it comes time to promote the documentary, you would be really well received in Quebec City. And guess what? Last year, about a year and a half ago, he came up to Quebec City. And this gets into the marketing aspect. We packed venues like you wouldn't believe. We were getting visibility. It really helped in the visibility of the documentary. And uh, that was a little bit of the, I'll get into that later, but you know, we can write great books, but if it's only people like you and the researchers who are reading them, we, we have to break out of that. And, and I have some ideas on that also. So that's how we, uh, so, so with chokeholds, we had two audiences in mind. And, and one was the gender. Allow yeah, me, ahead. Paul. Yeah, no, no. Before chokeholds, just a couple clarifiers on what yeah. you've just told me. Five years ago, when Oliver Stone reached out to interview you for documentaries he was going to make and did make you were reputable credible because of articles you had written right yes well he was particularly interested in one area of investigation which was on the similar cases that preceded dallas and that's in our book okay but the book just came out so you, when did you start writing your own articles uh, covering aspects of the assassination? 
Yeah, that's a good question. It began with the, that's what I, I forgot to fill you in on that. But when I did this study, I contacted Jim DiEugenio and I said, would you like to get a report on how history books cover the assassination? And, you know, he didn't know me, but he says, boy, that is interesting. So I sent it to him and it was my first article. So and I've, and I've, I've found that and, um, I've dug into it and it's, it's, it's really great. I just want to clarify when you started looking at history books, are you talking about the kind of books that we can find in bookstores or are you talking about textbooks for schools? Textbooks for schools specifically. That's that's huge. And now right. And that makes everything you've said since really meaningful how year after year thousands of students are being indoctrinated with an ancient story that has been revised many times in the decades since, and yet they're just stuck. Were these textbooks just Canadian, American and Canadian, or American books? Uh, I would say there was out of 20, 16 American and mm-hmm. three, the four Canadian, including one French Canadian. And in Canada, do they also use the American books? They, they parrot the American version. Okay, great. Okay. So now we're, now we're up to, we're, uh, well, if you want to give me some highlights of the articles that have led up to chokehold or come right into the JFK assassination chokeholds, your new book. Yes, because a lot of the chapters grow from some of the articles I wrote and are more complete and more up-to-date. One of the articles uh, that got an awful lot of attention was I followed up on the history book analysis with, well, what is the official record? And what I was able to do in that article was say, well, what, what was written specifically in the Warren Commission, the Church Committee, the uh, House Select Committee on Assassinations, what did the insiders say? What do I mean by insiders? I'm not talking about Jim DiGino or Joan Mellon or Paul Blow or, or researchers. I'm talking about those who actually performed the investigations, those who questioned the witnesses, who accessed the, um, you know, the uh, the the classified documents, who had subpoena power, and they include lawyers, doctors, police officers, and the heads of the commissions. And overwhelmingly, they repudiated the Warren Commission, overwhelmingly. I mean, let me just quote or uh, uh, Richard Schweiker. Richard Schweiker was evaluating how well the Warren Commission and the intelligence agencies performed their duties in and he was you know, and he did this for a senate he did this for a senate investigation in the mid 70s right that's right uh, uh, and he was a republican senator and he co-chaired it with Gary Hart a democrat senator and both of them are on the record saying Paul, that yeah. allow me uh no can, can continue sorry okay i'll just throw that quote at you is richard schweiker said listen to this The Warren Commission report or commission has, in fact, collapsed like a house of cards. And I believe it was set up to feed pablum to the American people. (laughs) You don't get more repudiated than that. That's a bell ringer. Paul, allow me to reintroduce you. 
You are a contributor to the brand new anthology, the JFK Assassination Chokeholds that inescapably prove there was a conspiracy. You've been a JFK assassination researcher, it sounds like, for about 10 years now. And now here is important information from TNT. TNT Radio's Katie Hopkins. Regardless of your own personal opinion, I find the moral clarity of what he says here to be both refreshing and having sat recently with Jewish friends just back in from Israel, someone standing and saying this, I think think is precisely the kind of language people are looking for. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding a ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism. There is a time for peace and there is a time for for war and Israel will stand. And uh, clearly I've received uh, and I will receive and I will continue to uh, receive a criticism for being a major supporter of Israel and people's right to have one nation state when Arab countries have 22 or 23, depending on which way you divide them. But I think clarity is needed. Katie Hopkins on TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. It's time to switch on today's news talk radio. Very entertaining. Yeah. TNT. This is World Stage. I'm Bruce DeTaurus, and with me is Paul Blow, contributor to the brand new The JFK Assassination Chokeholds that inescapably proved there was a conspiracy. Paul, do you have something top of mind, or should I ask you a question? Well, uh, I think uh, it gives, I think, a fair amount of background on why, maybe just mention why we decided to write Chokeholds, because there are five of us, and we we decided on that about a year ago. I, I had been thinking about it for a while, because I was asked to present the uh, an- analysis of how history books cover uh, the JFK assassination at Kappa last year during mm-hmm. the conference. Mm-hmm. And I, I ran a panel, too. So we had a panel, and we were asking ourselves, how do you change this? What's Kappa, by the way? Spell that out for folks. Kappa is uh, Citizens Against Political Assassinations. It's one of how the of... organizations. Go mm-hmm. ahead. No, it's one of the organizations that what? The, uh, that, in, you know, that um, uh, that has JFK researchers as members and mm-hmm. that meet once a year around November. 
and uh, go over a whole bunch of new information and, and uh, people like myself, Jim DiEugenio, and other researchers present their findings. Thank you. Uh, so uh, it, it always occurs, it usually occurs in Dallas, of course, around mm -hmm. the 22nd. Mm -hmm. All right, you were so, saying, so then, yes, the, the idea for the book germinated, yes? So so what happened is one of the, the authors, we met. I, I didn't. Know, I knew Jim, but I didn't know the other authors. We met in uh, in Dallas last year, uh, four of us, and uh, Andrew Eiler, another Canadian, joined the fray. Uh, also a bit later, but one of the new guys who's doing an awesome job, by the way, he's a newcomer. Uh, he's got a podcast. Uh, a lawyer from Ohio. His name is Matt Crumpton. So there are three attorneys that are part of the uh, writing team that are uh, knowledgeable about the case and the JFK Act. Uh, so he, he asked me and he asked people, what do you think of the backyard photos for your audience? Those were photos that, that really uh, framed or presented Oswald. They, they appeared on in Life magazine and they showed Oswald holding the two weapons and, and uh, communist magazines. And for everybody who's looked into them, they always looked cropped. You know, they look like they were, uh, and, and it's so ridiculous. Like, I mean, uh, here's someone, it, it was like an, an advertisement to say, look, I'm a nutcase. <laughs> but anyway, so they asked me what I thought of it. I said, look, I think it's cropped. Uh, I think you can see crop lines along the chin. Uh, but to me, that's not a chokehold. I said, a chokehold is indisputable. Hmm. Oh, so they said, well, what do you consider indisputable? Well, I, I, I you know, I had Jim DiEugenio who was there. Uh, we, I said, Jim, wouldn't you agree that Oswald being impersonated in Mexico City uh, six weeks before the assassination is a chokehold that is inexplicable? And he says, definitely. And we went through a, a number of them. And then the discussion evolved. We said, well, why don't we write something that can repudiate what history books write? Imagine that we would give these arguments to students and say, but sir, wasn't Oswald impersonated? Wasn't mm. Jack Ruby given help to go down to the basement to kill Oswald? What about uh, Ruby's uh, mafia ties? So we, we settled on 10 chokeholds. And the thing that was interesting about the way we wrote the book, so you had in Jim and me, you know, people who researched the case quite a bit. And in the three attorneys, we had people who, who took into account the notion of standard of proof. In other words, they kept reeling us in to say, well, does, you know, have we quite reached the standard that this is something we would bring to a jury? So the idea of chokeholds is that you take each one, we have 10. Each one on its own is inexplicable. The first guy to use the name chokeholds was Malcolm Blunt that I heard. I don't know if you've heard of Malcolm, but he's a legendary. Oh, well, he's a legendary British researcher. And he mm. used that in the description of how Oswald's file was being managed by the CIA when Oswald, quote unquote, defected to Russia. Mm -hmm. He says, this isn't the normal handling of a file of a defector. It's the right. handling because, you see, normally that file should have gone to the Soviet-Russian division, right? 
and it didn't. It would go to mail logistics and into the security division, the Office of Security. And John Newman, another great researcher, when he analyzes all this, he says it was done in that way that we could use Oswald to lure interests and flush out a mole, a mole in the CIA. It's a long you know, story, but it's very interesting. So that's what the concept of chokeholds is about. And it's written in a way that, uh, you, you know, we have the optimal blend, I think, of research and legal expertise. What's your what's the one of them that uh, that typifies the rest? Describe one of the chokeholds and Paul describe a number of them because I'm an avid researcher of the Kennedy assassination and American history and there's no there's no thread to pull as urgent and impactful and meaningful as President Kennedy's assassination. So Let's go through some of the chokeholds, please. Okay. So the first one, we had a big debate about this. And it was one I insisted on having in there. And then, you know, after we did it, the all the authors were happy. And it's our first chapter. And remember, I talked to you about the official record. So one of the things we wanted to do with this book is to reverse the quack label. Let me explain. If you look at Vincent Bugliosi and other writers who, you know, try and defend the Warren Commission, people like me and people like Jim DiGino, well, we're all quacks, you know. So uh, so what we decided to say is if you take what Richard Schweiker said and Gary Hart said and Richard Sprague and, and you take the heads of all these different investigations and their lawyers and their chief counsel, they overwhelmingly endorse the idea that the Warren Commission was not reliable, that there was likely, you know, the persona given Oswald was totally off. The persona for Ruby was completely wrong, that there was likely a conspiracy. Most of them don't believe the single bullet theory. Not all, some, some buy into it, but, but most, uh, so what we said is, hey, let's take the pundits away and the the independent researchers, and let's bring one chapter on who backs us up. So instead of mm -hmm. getting the QAnon type of label and saying, well, you know, these people believe in any conspiracy out there, we mm -hmm. said, no, who's, look who's on our side. And if you go against us, you're going actually against the uh, official government position on it. So that, that chapter... And look, we have, I, I would estimate something like 90 quotes and 90, uh, even some video in there and some pictures that, that are official depositions. So these are the people I was mentioning, you know, that had access to the wow. information uh, that, and, and, and it's overwhelming. So we love that chapter because it set the uh, stage for every chapter that came after saying, well, they're credible. Yeah. It, oh, you know, so how how tempted or torturous was it to reduce that material to just one chapter when it easily could be a book of its own? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a long chapter. It's a fifty to sixty page chapter that because that's how many. And by the way, we could have added thirty or forty more people, forty more people. Wow. Because even I'm at a conference today, and and some people are coming to me and say, "Well, did you did you know that so and so said this?" And the the um, the 
sorry, the sources in there are primary sources. In other yeah. words, videos, depositions, uh, things they said on the record. It's not yeah. uh, secondary okay. data. Okay. So that's that was so that's, a key chapter. That's chapter one. That's great. Chapter two is great. We show that there's at least a dozen cases of Oswald being impersonated. In wow. other words, he's a lone nut. Okay, who comes out of nowhere. He was just turned 24, apparently, you know. Mm -hmm. He he was 24 when he, he died. He just turned 24. No high school education. Yet he's being impersonated and made to be look to, to look like he is unleashed, okay, and that right. he's anti-Kennedy. And the the problem here is if you say, well, he wasn't impersonated, this is true. Then it opens up another can of worms because often when he was impersonated, he was with Cuban exiles. So the lone nut aspect disappears. So you have pick your poison, right? Either he wasn't mm -hmm. a lone nut or he was impersonated. And sometimes, now, and then sometimes he was, then he would be at two places at the same time, if I remember, right? Well, they used to say that all the time. They say, well, that can't have been right because we know he was here, Excuse, except he was being impersonated. And one case of that is in Mexico City. And the best, the most egregious example of impersonation comes right out of Hoover's mouth a few days, or I think one day after uh, the assassination. And he's telling Hoover, the transcripts of this have survived. He's telling, Hoover's telling LBJ we have a bit of a problem right now. The people who are questioning Oswald are telling me that the voice on the tapes that we have of Oswald when he was in Mexico City and the pictures don't correspond to him. Now that's from Hoover. So someone was imitating Oswald in Mexico City and the imitation, by the way, had to do with him meeting uh, a Russian assassin called Kostikov. So the person he was, in other words, the imitation has to do with him interacting with the Tsar right. of assassinations for the Western Hemisphere. Now, what and does Paul, that tell you? If, well, and also, do I remember correctly, that interpretation or uh, meaning of the so-called Oswald meeting with a Russian assassin was pushed forward by the CIA, wasn't it? And what does that imply, if true? Well, what it implies, this is a very, very good question, and uh, I would argue that the most likely person in the CIA uh, to, to have been behind that was someone called David Atlee Phillips, who was in Mexico City, and he's the guy who developed all, all sorts of propaganda whenever there was a regime change. He was the guy beside, behind, the, one of the guys behind the regime change in Guatemala, he was involved in the Bay of Pigs. So the idea here, Bruce, was to give the Americans the excuse to reinvade Cuba. So they wanted to make Oswald look like he was in cahoots with Castro and Castro agents. That's what the initial plan was. But LBJ did not want to go that route. He says, I want to go the lone nut route. And that's why it turned into such a mess. Because the genie was out of the the bottle, they, there were too many right. exchanges of Oswald right. with uh, with uh, you know um, uh, with Castro loving or Castro backing type people. Well, question: 
Uh, I won't anticipate your answer, but to the point you just described, to the point you just described, I've read the the understanding that part of painting Oswald as this communist sympathizer working either for the Cubans or for the Soviets was to scare the heck out of Johnson into demanding you have to paint him as a lone nut because if we let the American people see all this that incriminates him as a Cuban and Soviet pawn, they're going to clamor for war and we could blow up the planet. Talk about what you found along those lines if you found anything. Well, you're right because uh, here's what we don't know. Is that this stated excuse he gave to some people for them to go the lone nut route? Or was the real reason that he didn't want them to investigate because uh, investigation would have made surface quite a bit of relations between Oswald and intelligence services? And that would have been like a real stink bomb. Well, especially especially all it would unearth implicating Johnson's apparent foreknowledge etc etc and anything anything johnson says in any context has to be taken with a grain of salt the conniving voluminously you know duplicitous and conniving character that he was and that's why shelves and shelves and books are written just about him i agree i don't think personally that he was the uh, architect of the assassination, but the, 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 you know, the influencers and those who had pre-knowledge is, is more of a gray area. I do believe that he used this specter of world war three to, uh, to, and he, and he says it, by the way, he admits that that was the argument he used to get Warren who did not want it at the Warren commission to become involved. Right. And there is a branch of the research that, position that that claims makes the case that johnson was the architect i'm not sold on that i'm not sold i know who i would say the the architect was but continue about the um number of impersonations i was aware of a lot of them i had no idea you said there were about a dozen or more right oh there's at least a dozen and another egregious one another egregious one is that he goes uh, let's oswald or the oswald double uh, goes to do target practice at a place called the Sports Drone. And these are in the weeks leading up to the assassination. And he's acting completely bonkers. He's firing at other people's targets. He's making lewd comments about Kennedy. And, uh, he, yeah. you know, he's getting himself noticed. And there's at least eight witnesses, seven or eight witnesses that describe him. But you know why? And, and by the way, this actually could have served the Warren Commission to say, hey, this guy wasn't such a bad shot. He was practicing, right? But it had to go away. You know why? With him were two Cuban exiles. One of them was dressed in Castro-like fatigues with the hat and the beard, and he was making a pain in the neck out of himself. So then the idea that Oswald the Lone Nut, who had no friends, you would have had to start saying, well, who are who are these two accomplices, right? So that yeah. had to go away, even though it would have served the purpose of saying, 
this supposed, uh, you know, shooter who many yeah. claim was a terrible shot was practicing. But now they weren't even able to say he was practicing or prove that he was practicing. Well, I just want to mention I do marketing for Chris Milligan at Trine Day Publishing, who has researched conspiracy theories in the uh, Kennedy assassination for decades. And it just occurs to me how he often reiterates there were so many people doing so many things so that when it eventually unfolds, they'd be able to play everyone against the middle. And and it's okay if it's a bunch of mud. You can't really make sense out of it. With me is Paul Blow, and we are talking about the Kennedy assassination, the new book that um, he's a part of. And now here is important information from TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Once again, I'm going to quote from my buddy Mark Marano's Climate Depot. This is just unbelievable what I see going on at this summit between Biden and the Chinese government. As a matter of fact, the most alarming thing is that John Kerry was anywhere around that place. These two guys and their administrations have been bullying the United States of America over a problem that even if it existed, we have very little to do with it. Australia, UK, you have nothing to do with it. Canada, you have nothing to do with it. Seriously, if you look at the amount of CO2 you put in the air compared to total CO2, it truncates to zero. Now, who is the biggest polluter, if you want to call CO2 pollutant? It's China. So expert raise alarm after Biden strikes climate agreement with China to shut down fossil fuels. What, what kind of insanity is this? China thumbs their nose and laughs at the rest of the world. And guess what? It's our fault they do it. You know why? They know darn well that this is not a big disaster. They know darn well they have to push forward their population. I mean, I realize China's in bad shape as far as freedoms go, but they are trying to work in their own whatever manner to try to create more freedoms and more prosperity for China. So of course they're going to sit there and try to stop the United States. And these guys just walk right into it. It's disgusting. Americans are letting a guy and his buddy John Kerry bully them over a situation they have precious little to do with. Let me read you the facts. CO2 is 0.042% of the atmosphere. Man is responsible for 3 to 5% of that. The United States is responsible for 10% of that total. Australia, Canada, the UK, about 1%. Essentially, it's nothing. Much ado about nothing. A weaponized weather in a phony climate war. It's unbelievable. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. I need to go get my rabies shots. Meet Norm. He lives with anxiety. But with the help of this latest innovation from Be Normal, he can be normal. Just like everyone else. With the swipe of a finger, you can project happiness, confidence, machismo. Why settle for being real when you can be normal? The Normal Maker. New from Be Normal. This item doesn't really work because there's no such thing as normal. We're all different. What we like, how our brains work. In fact, one in five of us live with mental illness. Don't filter who you are. Start by talking to someone you trust. And remember, there is no normal. This is World Stage with Brewster Torres on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And with me is Paul Blow, longtime JFK researcher. Paul, you kind of blew my mind by recounting that Oswald was impersonated at least a dozen times. 
There's so many more chapters and so much more in the book. I wouldn't mind if you lep, leapfrogged, leaped frog into the next chokehold that inescapably proves that uh, that there was a conspiracy. Well, I, you know what I'll do is I'll go to uh, the ones I think might be fun for your audience, and, and we can add as we go along. Uh, I, I find the chapter on Jack Ruby to be fascinating. So, you know, right off the bat, if, if you were in Europe, right, and you had someone like Oswald assassinate a French leader, and he were taken out 48 hours later before he could talk or before getting access to a lawyer, your immediate thought would be, well, he was gagged, right? <laughs> they didn't want him to talk. And, and that's what most people in the foreign press was saying. You know, they, they, they just didn't believe that this was. So in comes Jack Ruby. And the, 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 the excuse they give there is that, act, you know, Jack Ruby was so heartbroken by the death of Kennedy and wanted to spare Jackie Kennedy the, you know, the hardship of going through a trial. And, and that's kind of baloney or malarkey was the reason that he removed Oswald. And the story, that's that's what the Warren Commission says. He's a lone nut. In comes the HSCA. And the House Select Committee on Assassinations says, oh, no, we have more information on Ruby. And what you can see is that this, I mean, you know, when you're owning strip joints, uh, you know, you're not necessarily part of the Better Business Bureau, or maybe you are, but put it this way right there, you likely have shady contacts, you know, and his contacts, when they started digging and digging, they're saying, well, this guy's pretty mob connected. This guy's a gun runner. This guy was a, an, an FBI informant. Okay. And the people that he connected with in the mob, get this, Santo Traficante. He, because Santo Traficante was one of the top mobsters in Cuba, and he was in prison. And Cuba, uh, Ruby wanted to get him out, so he went to Cuba and visited Traficante. And the HSCA says, we're inclined to believe that that visit took place because of some of the witnesses. Now, why is that important? Traficante was the person that was recruited by the CIA to try and execute Castro. So, you know, when they made these mob deals, one of them was Giancana, the other one was Traficante. Started start to sound a little mob connected, doesn't it? So the next thing, you know, is they looked into his phone calls leading up to the assassination. And he's talking to mobsters and hitmen and, and you name it. And they measured the frequency of those calls. And they said, okay, well, that's suspicious. One of his first visitors when he was in jail was one of the top mobsters in Dallas. I mean, you know, who gets a visit like that? And then finally, the HSCA says, we don't think it was a spontaneous act. We think he received assistance to get down to the basement when he killed Oswald. I mean, what more do you need to yeah. destroy the persona that is painted of Ruby? So, does your does does yeah. your chapter go into the timing of? I think he bought a money order for one of his employees, and you know it, and then kind of stroll down there. 
the way I my reading looks at it, I I wouldn't be surprised if the police waited to know that he's in pl- that Ruby's in place before they waltzed Oswald out into the garage. Oh, you're right, uh, Bruce. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And you know, there's a horn sound that can be heard. If you, yeah. those who listen, you can hear two horns go off. Uh, yeah. You uh, th- there's if you look at Captain Fritz, he's in yes. front of Oswald, and he takes off. I mean, he almost does a sprint to get out of the way, right? Uh, yes. Instead of having, I mean, you just had the worst security. Uh, for president in the city of Dallas during the motorcade, and now you have the worst security in, in uh, you know, in trying to safeguard the number one witness. In that in that clip, Captain Fritz does kind of the best acting you'll ever see because when the <laughs> shot is fired and then there's a dog pile, he keeps looking to his right and he has his hands a little up, making as as if he's trying to convey that he's thinking. Oh my gosh, what's going on? What's going on? There's a good moment or two before he looks to the left and acknowledges, okay, it's done. But um, there was oh, there was another point about Ruby, I guess. Uh, well, tell me more. Tell me more about what's in the chapter to implicate him as you know a pawn in a bigger plot to, to gag Oswald, as you say. Well, if you combine that, right, is if you take uh, what the HSCA concluded about him, we get into uh, the opinions then afterwards of people like Robert Blakey. And uh, and Robert Blakey, by the way, is the person who took over as head of the HSCA after Sprague and Tannenbaum were bumped out because they were really working hard. And each, and Sprague has practically written a book and, and, and gone on the record saying, that he thinks that Ruby and his ties with Marcelo and his, uh, you know, uh, that that he is his number one, you know, that he is definitely part of the plot. Because mm-hmm. Sprague at first was pushing a mafia plot to remove JFK. And then uh, when he found out that the liaison between the CIA and the HSCA was a guy called George Joannides, who claimed that he had no relations whatsoever in the whole affair. Hmm. And it was later found out by, I think, Jefferson Morley that, no, he was in charge of the DRE. I'm talking about uh, Joannides. Now, what, what was the DRE? Is when Oswald got into this fight in New Orleans with a guy called Carlos Bringier. Carlos Bringier is part of the DRE. And the DRE is an organization that ended up trying to frame Oswald as being part of the Castro Pact. So, uh, you know, I think that if you combined his actions with the conclusions of the HSCA, uh, you you can have no doubt. It it becomes a chokehold that Ruby is on a mission to gag the key witness. There's no doubt. Did you have, do you include in your chapter the, uh, testimony uh maybe there's photos i don't know oh yeah there's film clips of ruby to in many respects seems to have been stalking oswald friday night saturday yes. and up you know yeah yeah talk about that yeah, very good point very good point that uh, there's at least four or five sightings of ruby in uh the uh, the um place where oswald was being held uh and he was 
son, all these forces that he should never have had access to. Now, he positioned himself. He would bring sandwiches to the police officers. Now, Ruby knew more than half of the Dallas police force. They would go to his strip joint and he would treat them, you know, like royalty. So he had a heck of a lot of contacts. So we do go into that. But furthermore, one thing that had been denied by the Warren Commission, but countered by the HSCA, is that when JFK was assassinated, Ruby followed and went to Parkland Hospital and was seen there. Yeah, credible, so, uh, he was credible reports. Yeah. So that that I would say that is the gist of what we cover in there. But I mean, we put it all together. And mm -hmm. you come out of there and say, well, no, no, okay, they, they, you, they, we have one picture that's being peddled to us, but yeah. the real one. And and it's, again, we're quoting reports, and we're quoting people involved in them. Paul, be, I definitely want to get your thoughts, if you wouldn't mind telling me now. Kind of big picture. Kind of, okay, now that this book is out there, and... It is proving inescapably, like the title says, that there was a conspiracy. Maybe you, maybe there are many times the various co-authors of the book allude to this. But tell me, you know, as a man your age who has looked at this now for 10 years and also has just observed how Western civilization, Canada and the United States, talk about the impact of Kennedy's assassination and the state of freedom and democracy in, in your country and mine, America, please. Certainly. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a while. And some people ask, well, why is it relevant today? Now, if you go back to the year he was assassinated, the confidence the American people had in the media and the government was quite high. It was quite high. They were still on the high of post-World War II. Eisenhower kept things, you know, uh, he was a good old soldier. And then Kennedy comes in with all sorts of visions and dreams and everything. And then the Warren Report comes out a year later, and that was the single biggest drop in confidence in the media and the government that took place. And it kept going down after the lies around Watergate, right? The other assassinations, political assassinations of the 60s, Iran-Contra, the Vietnam War, they were all, you know, and you, you, you know, you, even to today, you had the weapons of mass destruction uh, fabulations. So if you look at it today, and, and I don't want to get political, but we want to look at the phenomena of a Donald Trump, right? I think that 25 years ago, if he had the press saying the things against him that they are saying today, he would have been toast. But today, all these stories come out, whether it's mistresses or, or you know, uh, crimes or whatever, people are saying, ah, I don't believe it, and I don't want to believe it, and I don't care. So what you have is polarization to the extreme. Now, yeah. you, you might say we have regular elections we have the right to picket we have but when you have these agendas right that are being dictated and when people like whether it's trump or kennedy go against you know the 
the, the, the interests of very powerful institutions, uh, they get blocked. Either they're going to get defamed, either they're, well, in the case of Kennedy, removed. So that's not a democracy, right? Mm-hmm. They were duly elected. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that, that, in my view, is uh, there's a bit of a morosity going on right now. People are, uh, you know, are distrusting. And I don't think we're giving the best example to our kids. You go back to the history teachers. If you can't believe your history teacher about a moment in history that is so obviously, well, you're going to say, oh, yeah, sure. What are you going to tell me now about now that you're going to tell me that JFK was a warmonger? That guy was not a warmonger. He said tough things to get elected. You have to. But, I mean, he was doing everything to avoid Vietnam. And that's come out and it's official now. So that's, that's why I think it's relevant today. Uh, I don't feel, look, we're not, we're certainly more democratic than certain, you know, countries that have dictators and, you know, uh, that, that where you have no uh, democracy whatsoever, but we're not a perfect democracy far from it. Uh, A perfect democracy uh, wouldn't have so few people influencing so much. Indeed. You, you, the way you're saying we, Paul. I wonder, do you spend much time in the in America, or you, you're you you know, you're, it's the the we of Canada oh, yeah. and America. <laughs> I think Canada, to be honest, is less bad because, for one thing, we're a multi-party system. Uh, we're not just a two-party system, so we're not flipping right. as much. Okay, some would argue, right. and, and you get minority governments. Like right now, we have a minority government, right? Okay, so. So you you do have a few things there. We have in the province of Quebec uh, contribution caps, okay, on how much you're allowed to contribute. Uh, There's certain things that we do that limit the power. We have, uh, you know, lobbyists have to register and have to, you know, let people uh, know what they're talking about. So, you know, there's certain things, but uh, it's not a perfect democracy either. Right, right, right. In our min- in our final minute or so, what are the uh, what are the uh, other chokeholds that you wrote? I think all of you guys wrote individual chapters, right? Yeah, I have a couple here that I'll uh, focus on. And I, real quick, because just... we're down to our last couple of minutes, Paul. Okay, so uh, there's one chapter. Your audience or your readers will be really amazed to see how many similar cases occurred during the year of Kennedy's assassination and they were Mm. never analyzed people like there's a template okay Ottawa uh, Dallas wasn't didn't happen in a vacuum Kennedy wasn't getting out of 63 alive well let me read the title of that it's chapter six prior plots the fair play for Cuba committee and useful idiots yes and I'm reading I'm reading from a pre-publication uh version you got you were kind enough to send me so i'm risking that maybe you changed the chapter name at the last minute paul blow is with me he is a jfk assassination researcher his articles can be found at kennedysandking.com and he's a contributor to the new book the jfk assassination chokeholds that inescapably prove there was a conspiracy i want to thank you very much paul i hope we stay in touch and i uh encourage everybody to get the book 
And uh, it's been a pleasure. And this is TNT Radio.